Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 322. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Today's episode is brought to you by Lended FinTech LATAM, the region's leading FinTech event. It's happening both online and in person in Miami on December 7th and 8th. Latin America is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lend at Fintech LATAM features the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. In-person and virtual tickets are available at lendit.com slash LATAM. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Wagner Huiz. He is the co-founder and chief risk officer of eBanks. Now, eBanks are a fascinating company. They're really a payments leader. They're another fintech unicorn started in Brazil now in in 15 countries uh, throughout the region. They started in cross-border payments and they now sort of have really created their own payments ecosystem. We talk about what it's like to expand internationally within Latin America, talk about the impact of PIX, that's Brazil's digital payments system that was created by the central bank. We talk about anti-fraud, about serving the underbanked. We talk about the impact of crypto, what that might mean for the future of payments uh, and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Wagner. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure. So let's let's get started um, by giving the listeners a little bit of background uh, about yourself. I know you've been with eBanks uh, now for many years, but can you just tell us what you did before then and just a little bit of some of the career highlights? Let me go back in the past. I studied economics in college, and I think this... At the time, mid-90s was the dream for a boy in a big town to become like a trader, investment fund, banking. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went to economics. But it was very funny because uh, when I was about to start college and get the, my first job, I was willing to work in a bank. And I had a mentor at the time. And he told me, okay, you can go to the bank, but you you'll not be a trader right now. You need to go to, to the back office. Hmm. And I thought, how back office? It's not fun. There is no money. And I learned one of the most important lessons in my life. You need to understand how things work behind the scenes. Right. Super interesting. So then what was it that led you to start up eBanks with your with your? I spent there uh, four years, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Then I decided to become an entrepreneur. I think I always was, but uh, I decided to build new things. So in my life, I think I built seven or eight companies in so different areas, uh, import and export. I had a trading. I did a construction business in infrastructure works, strollers for babies coming from the U.S., fitness equipment. And then in 2007, I started my first payment company with one of my current partners, Alfonso, which later would be eBanks or start eBanks uh, a couple of years later. I am at eBanks for almost 10 years when we found the company. So we are here in right. payments. I, I, I don't believe payments is, was, at least at the time, the dream. 
I never heard, okay, I will go work at payments or fintech. Now it's changing, but uh, it's where we are. So we started eBanks uh, 10 years ago in 2012. Right, right. So, so maybe tell us a little bit about that founding story. What was the problem that you saw that you felt like really needed to be solved? It's funny how everything started. At the time, we had a friend from outside Brazil willing to sell goods to Brazil. He had a website and he was trying to receive payments in Brazil. And he called us and said, okay, guys, can you explain me what is Boleto Bancario? Because I have my, my website. I can accept Visa and Master and all cards. But the approval rate is so low and everybody keeps me keep asking me about Boleto Bancario. We explain it. Boleto Bancario is an alternative payment method in Brazil. The approval rate for credit cards and debit cards at the time was very low for international purchases. Mm-hmm. So it was in average 20, 22% of approval rates. And then we saw the problem and we decided to fix or find a solution for the problem. How to offer local payment methods with the current or higher uh, approval rates for international merchants. This was how everything begins uh, at eBanks here. So this was the problem that we decided to solve. Make possible for international merchants to have local payment methods in Brazil at the time. Okay, so then what was it technology-wise that you were able to introduce that really no one had no one had done that really allowed this higher approval rate? To be very honest, it's not just a matter of technology. It's how we mix regulations, laws, and technology. I think this is how we can explain how can be disruptive, right? So the main idea was on the behind the scenes, not technology, how to make possible to collect money locally, to have the relationship with all the payment schemes, and to settle abroad. This was the first step. And then to put the technology on that. So the technology for payments was advanced at the time already in Brazil for credit cards and even for Boleto or other payment methods. And we had the, the, the regulation in place at the time. So we had to talk to the regulator to understand how to build that, how to, to put everything together. And then we added the technology. So I think the technology on payments was good at the time, was improving uh, every year, but it's a mix between regulation, uh, framework, legal framework, and technology. I think this was the big differential for IBEX. Right, right. Okay. And then, so maybe um, if you could fast forward through to today, and could you describe sort of the product lines, the different offerings that you have? So it's funny because we started in Brazil, and this was the problem in Brazil initially. Mm-hmm. We call ourselves cross-border payments, right? So uh, locally and settled globally. And we started in Brazil because it was our country. And then in 2014, we saw the same problem, not exactly the same problem, but similar problems in other countries in the region. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, we decided to expand our operations outside Brazil. We went to nine countries. Today, we have 15 countries in the region solving the same problem, cross-border payments. In each country, we have today more than 150 payment methods uh, in the region. And this is our core business, cross-border. But three to four years ago, 
we decided to look into other related business. So we were not working into a local payment. When I say local payment, just to be clear, I'm talking about local sellers and local buyers. Right. So we decided to invest in this segment and go to local as well. Not in all countries, of course, but in the major countries that we have. So we are doing that in Brazil, of course, in Mexico, Argentina, and we will start in Colombia and Chile. So cross-border is our payment core. Local is our second business. And they are very related because you have merchants like Uber, for instance. They work with us in some countries as cross-border, but they work as uh, as well with us as local in Brazil. Right. So we can mix and do a hybrid product in the same platform. One API, you can have many models and work in all the region. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we decide to invest a little bit on the consumer side because we have more than 70, 70 million Latin Americans that already bought through eBanks. Not using eBanks because eBanks is just a payment platform, but we know this user, we know what they want, and we have somehow to contact them. Right. And then we decide to offer new products for the, we call inside end user, but it's a consumer business. So we have three major pillars. The first one is our core, cross-border, local payments in a few countries, and also the consumer and user business that we are developing also for the major countries where we are. We started in Brazil, but we are doing in Mexico, in Argentina as well. So in regards to products or product lines, I think we have these three major pillars in our business and we are developing new things. And in payment methods, we have all payment methods that you can find in the region that we can offer inside the same platform. Right. So you said in 2014, you you started expanding into other countries. And obviously, there's been a lot of Latin American fintechs are starting to do that now. We were pretty early on in the fintech space anyway. What were some of the challenges that you encountered back then? And, And is it easier today or do you think it's about the same? I'm not sure if it's easier today or it's easier for us because now we have some experience. Right. But I can name two major, not blocks, but uh, hard things to solve. One is culture and another one is regulation. Mm-hmm. Right. Because especially for those, they are not from uh, Latin America. They think Latin America is all the same and it's not all the same. Brazil is easy to understand because we speak Portuguese and the rest of Latin speaks Spanish. So there is a a natural difference in culture. But even on the Spanish language, countries in Latin is very different. Mexico is very different from Colombia. It's very different from Chile or Argentina. The first mistake is to think that we are talking about just one region and everything is the same. It's not the same. And we had to learn that as well. I remember that the first country that we went was Mexico. And I I spent almost nine months going to Mexico every month. And I remember my my feeling was, for the first time in my life, I think I'm feeling as a gringo, as we say. (laughs) Because the relationship is completely different Mm -hmm. from Brazil and from other countries. I was used to to do business with Argentina, for instance. And we have a team in, in Uruguay. But... Even for a Uruguayan, it's hard to do business with Mexicans. I'm not complaining about one or another, but it's different. So you need to respect 
the culture and the way of them doing business. So you need to learn with them. I think this is the first thing that is very hard and is still hard for global merchants to go into the region. And this is part of we offer. We had a slogan that I, I, I like it, go global, but think local. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to have local experience and local knowledge. This is something that we developed for the past almost 10 years. And the second one, of course, and it's more my area, is the regulatory environment. Because it's changing so much and so fast. Usually I say in this region, in in Latin America, you have Brazil, which is very advanced in many things, in regulation. But I can see other countries going to the same place where Brazil are today. And I can almost think about years. I can say, okay, Brazil is here. Uh, This country is five years behind, three years behind. But we know where they are going. So because there is a, a something that is specifically for payments, end up with uh, monopolies, instant payments. So you can see that. But still, it's very hard to deal with that. So it's a huge expertise that you need to have and is connected as well with culture and with local knowledge. I think these are the two major hard things to, to deal with the expansion. Right, right. I want to talk about Brazil specifically and the, and the payments landscape there and, and the fact that PIX, the digital payments uh, system that was started, I think it was just almost a year ago now, and you, you talked about how you integrate with all payments. So PIX has had, a, from what I can tell, a pretty successful rollout, pretty good adoption. How has that impacted your business and uh, how has it been integrating with that? PIX was a phenomenon in Brazil. It's one of the things that we need to say about our regulator. This was a great idea, well-designed, very open to everybody. So, of course, you know, credit cards, you have always Master and Visa. But in this case, as the central bank was the one dealing with the instant payments, they did a very open platform for everybody. So this was the first thing that I saw, of course, for business Everybody was a little bit afraid because the cost and the margin is very low because the intent of the, the regulator is to give something low cost to all the users, to all the population. Mm-hmm. But the usage of Pix now, it's amazing. I heard one of your podcasts with Augusto Links, mm-hmm. and he was saying about the war on cash, which was in the beginning for the credit cards. But in the end of the day, this is, was exactly what the, the, the central bank did and very successfully. Everybody is using PICS here. The volumes is growing like 60% a month. Wow. Just e-banks, I think we are doing 3.5 million transactions in 2021. The total transaction is like a 4.8 billion uh, transactions. We are not proud of that, but we have people selling things on the streets, right? every kind of things. So if you don't want money to pay, the first thing they say now is, okay, you can pay me with Pix. Everybody. So the access, the digitalization, and the lower classes using Pix is a phenomenal. So, And for us, it's very interesting because as all new payment methods, you keep thinking, okay, what will be the future? But in the end of the day, we saw a growth on the market. So people coming from cash to peaks 
increasing the total addressable market for payments. So increasing volumes, even the average ticket is higher than Boleto today. So it was a phenomenal, a huge success uh, in Brazil, a very open platform. Everybody's working with bigs. Uh, All of our merchants are always willing to work and to be the first one with bigs. Uber is a very good example here in Brazil because they are working with us using bigs since the day one of bigs. So international merchants now, they are looking into, into bigs. And in Brazil was a revolution, was very, very good. And we can see that in other countries. As I told you about the regulation, you can see other countries trying to do that as well. So Argentina is trying to develop as well, Mexico as well. So it was a, a huge phenomenon. Yeah, it seems like it's really going to be a model for the world in many ways. As you say, it's it's brought in so many of these unbanked, underbanked people. And that's that's kind of leads on to my next question here, which is, you know, for e-banks, when it comes to helping the the unbanked and underbanked, what are you doing? Obviously, you've got a, a digital payment system. Is it through PICS or, or are there other ways that you are really helping to bring in those that have been excluded from the financial system? I think our goal always was to give access uh, not only to merchants, but also to the Brazilians and Latin Americans now. So the idea, everything started with one alternative payment method, Boleto. And the main goal of Boleto was, okay, you don't need to have a banking account. You can just pay, even in cash, uh, the Boleto Bancada. So we started helping unbanked people. And with the development of the regulation here, now you have payment accounts. You had payment accounts in 2012, 2011. So this is very new. And PIX is helping that. So we still have a part of our business coming from Boleto because also it's almost cultural in Brazil to, to pay Boletos. But we are helping a lot. I think we are talking about underbanked uh, people more. Because now, to use the PICs, they need to have at least a payment account. And that's why the end user or the consumer business is helping as well, because we can provide the payment account with access to PICs, and then you can pay with PICs everything that you want. So I think part of our mission, our goal, which is give access, we started with Boleto and even with credit card later, but now it's a whole new scenario with PICs, because we can help them with the payment account, we can help them receiving PICs and everybody have PICs here. Now, the central bank, I heard these days, 45% of the adult population in Brazil is using PICs. Hmm. This is a huge number for one year of PICs. Right, right. I'd love to get your sense about fraud and the security systems that you've put in place because we've seen obviously in the last 18 months, even even before PICS, a huge upsurge in people moving online for the first time and, and doing their first uh, digital e-commerce transaction. And how are you approaching you know, fraud prevention and identity verification? And, what, and, and has that really changed much over the last 18 months? For us, I think it's a, it's a very interesting thing because as we are dealing payments, doing payments for a while now, we had fraud problems in the, the beginning with credit cards because, of course, credit cards, we have lots of fraud. So we have our own system of monitoring and fraud prevention. 
that is learning since the beginning with credit cards. In credit cards today, our rate for fraud is very, very low, like 0.2%. But what was good with PIX and other payment methods? Since we developed our technology for any kind of payment method in all countries, we are able to apply the same system to do the monitoring and to do the prevention that we were using with uh, credit cards in the beginning for PIX. So in our case, the fraud for PIX is very, very low, but because we use the technology that we developed for 10 years in credit cards, in monitoring, also for PIX. If you see the news in Brazil about PIX more in a physical world, of course, because we have violence, it's a little bit tough, it's not exactly fraud, but uh, you had uh, a few cases of uh, violence in Brazil for using PIX. So the guy takes your mobile and asks you to do a PIX, force you to do a PIX. So the central bank and the force, the law enforcement, they are trying to put new rules to prevent that. But the online, I think specifically for us, we are somehow happy because we have all the backend and the history of fraud prevention for credit cards and other payment methods. So for us, it's good. And we hope to see this other problem with the violence in Brazil solved as well. So now you have, for instance, limits. You cannot pay more than a thousand reais, which is, I don't know, $200, $150 during the night, these kind of things. But this is something that happened as well with debt cards in the past. Every time that you have a new thing, a new payment method, the fraudsters, they try to go after that. Mm-hmm. But I think they're doing well in the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to get your thoughts on crypto because it feels like, obviously, there's El Salvador in Central America that is really embracing Bitcoin wholeheartedly. Some of the crypto companies have operations in South America as well. And you know, there's movement, some of the cross-border payments um, type uh, products, you know, making, crypto is making inroads there. But what is the impact that you think that uh, crypto will have in the long term on payments in Latin America? This is not a tough, but this is a delicated subject. Right. Because when you talk about crypto and everything started with Bitcoin, probably you need to, to face the, the reaction and the thoughts from each regulator in each country. Right. So in the beginning, it was very tough and they were right somehow because when you have a some way to send money from one point to another without any registration or information. It is somehow uh, a freedom, but it's also uh, a liability in many cases. So I, I think for the regulators, it was very hard to understand and to accept. But my feeling today is different. Not talking about cryptocurrency, but uh, blockchain technology, and how this will move everything. I think all the regulators now, they understand this is important. This will change the market and they need to be ahead of the game. So something that I see in Brazil, but also in other countries is they are looking in how to put the crypto inside the, the AML policies and the security policies, but use that. So, you have El Salvador, but you have a huge conversation in Brazil about the possibility of uh, a digital real, 
real is our currency. They are thinking about, okay, how we can do that and be, and be related to the regulator. And you can see that in other countries. Also on the cross-border, because if you can have that and somehow an agreement between the regulators, you can start doing these transactions, international transactions, much more easily. But I think the main difference was, in the beginning, a huge problem with trust with the Bitcoin. Now I can see all the regulators thinking, okay, we need to see that to put on the framework somehow and to try to be ahead of the game. I think they are doing that. Of course, as regulators, they have their own speed and the market probably is going in another speed. That's why even El Salvador being a small country, it's uh, at least something to consider. But I think all the countries now, they are thinking how to put blockchain or crypto or make them their own digital currency from the original currency. And I think everything can change in the near future in cross-border, but also in payments in general. Right, right. Okay. So um, I want to move back to eBank specifically here and talk about the scale you guys are at. Can you share some of the, the metrics about, you know, in Brazil or in total, what uh, as far as like number of transactions, that sort of thing? Our major metric is the TPV, the total process volume. I can say about the last year, Last year, I think uh, we processed around 3.7 billion USD in all countries. We grew a lot for the past years because also the, the TAM, it's, uh, it's growing. It's not just ourselves. Sure. We have now uh, 1,200 employees operating in more than 15 countries. We have people everywhere. This is funny. We have 48 nationalities. Wow here at eBanks. Uh, we call ourselves eBankers. <laughs> this is another metric. We are trying to keep growing and I think we still have uh, a huge future ahead of us. Right, right, for sure. And speaking of that, you know, I read your CEO quoted uh, recently saying that um, you're going to be open to uh, doing some acquisitions in the near future. Oh, he didn't, he didn't give a timeline, but what I'd love to get sense of what what is what is your approach here are you looking to grow and expand into new areas for acquisition or acquiring new markets what is your approach to acquisitions yes probably as you saw as well we we had a round uh investment round a few months ago with advent and one of the idea ideas of having advent was to invest more in MA. the clear idea here for MA is as we have our strategy defined in our region, we need to speed up some operational gaps that we have because let me explain how we do an expansion. We go to the country, we start our business there, so we need to build everything. Of course, the technology is in Brazil, is the same technology, but we need to be integrated with all the, the payment methods. So there is a time to do that. Usually, took us nine months. Now it's almost three to four months to start the first payment. But we see on the MA a possibility of speed up that. So if we go after companies in these countries where we are, we can buy technology and people to speed up the expansion speed. And also we are looking to other correlated areas. 
So as I told you, we deal with local payments, we deal with uh, cross-border and consumer. So if we see some opportunity in acquisition to increase or speed up consumer or local, we will go after that as well. So I think it's a, it's a way to speed up our own strategy. Right, right. And then I also want to ask you about the leadership changes that happened. Your, your CEO became chairman. I think you moved from uh, the CFO to the chief risk officer. Can you just explain what was behind those changes? So since the beginning, uh, we, we, we were three founders. We were acting as CEO, CFO, and COO. And then because of the size after the investment of Advent, and we acted uh, somehow as co-CEOs in the past. So we decided to split a little bit strategy, operations, and the background for myself, which is uh, uh, regulation, because we understand that with our size, so many countries, we need to, to have the specialization for each one. So that's why Juan became the CEO to handle all operations. I am uh, the CRO, the risk officer, looking after corp dev, uh, regulatory compliance, and also legal. And Alphonse is on the board as executive chairman, looking at our strategy as a whole for the future. We believe that gave us more speed to deal with the, the things from, from the day. So I, I might be thinking at the time, okay, I will rest a little bit more, but uh, it's not the case. <laughs> Everybody's working more in a right. more productive way for our goals uh, in the future. Right, right. Yes, no rest for those in fintech right now. Things are things are no. heating up. Um, okay, so so last question before we close. I know you can't talk about the IPO that has been, you know, that obviously has been talked about in the press, but well, I'd love to get a sense of what's next uh, for you guys as you start, as you look out over the next 12 months. I think our plan or our plans are very clear. Uh, so we have a few things in our DNA. One of them is, of course, to give access to merchants, customers, and users, and to grow. So we are always thinking about how to grow the business. And I think the next 12 months will be very important for us. As you said, the market, the landscape for fintech, it's very hot nowadays. Everybody's talking about that. This brings lots of opportunities, lots of problems as well that we need to solve. And we are pretty much engaged in solve and grow the company a lot for the next 12 months. So when you ask me about the future, about M&A, we are working on all our fronts to be there. So I think that the future is great. Of course, we have economical problems in Brazil, in the region, political problems, everything that we need to, to handle with. But I see a huge next 12 months for us. And, and the change on the management was just a sign for this preparation. So we have lots to do in 12 months. Right. Okay. Well, Wagner, it's great to chat with you. Uh, best of luck. I can see how it's, it's so exciting uh, what you guys are building. So thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. See ya. You know, eBanks is, is yet another example of how vibrant the Latin American fintech market is. Another fintech unicorn that is growing rapidly and really just doing great work. 
for the consumers in the region. And, you know, they are obviously they've got an IPO coming up, as I said, and they are really going to be a force, I think, to be reckoned with in years to come. And they've done a great job in bringing more people into the financial system. And I think it points to really the the growth of, of fintech in Latin America and how it is in some ways, we're just getting started as more and more payments volume, more lending and more banking is done uh, really with th- through fintech companies. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Lendit Fintech LATAM, the region's leading fintech event. It's happening both online and in person in Miami on December 7th and 8th. Latin America is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lended Fintech LATAM features the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community this year where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. In-person and virtual tickets are available at lendit.com slash LATAM. <laughs>